0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Across all of our campuses and
1: 12 Stone Home, it's so good to be with everyone this morning. We've been in a teaching series that we are calling the battle for your mind. We know that Jesus says this about the the greatest commandment in Scripture, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind and strength. So we love God with all of who we are. What we want to kind of communicate in this series is God doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. That it's not just kind of the spiritual side of who you are. There's like the, the whole of who you are, and that is heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we go through life, we become all too aware that most of life's battles are actually won or lost in the mind. This is how the Bible says it in Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And because of that, lies have a lot of power over us. So we've been talking about the lies that we tend to believe, the battle in our mind, and how truth from God's word helps us defeat those lies. And because of that, mental and emotional health is often a discipleship conversation. So that's where we are. And that's why we're in this series that we're calling The Battle for Your Mind and Today, I get to have a really fun conversation because we're going to talk about our past and how we deal with our past because we all have a past. We all have baggage. We all have bad decisions that we've made in the past. We all have regrets. We all have things that we are not proud of because no one is perfect, especially the Atlanta Braves, apparently. Um, I don't know where you're watching this uh, right now. If you're watching online, if you're at one of our campuses. um, But if you're a Phillies fan, I uh, am asking the favor of God to leave you this morning. Um, Am I allowed to do that? I'm not. Okay. But because nobody is perfect, everyone has something that we look back on in life. And we sometimes feel shame. Don't we? We feel shame, which leads us to today's lie. Very simply this. The lie is that my past defines my present and my future. That my past defines my present and my future. And it's this lie that creates shame. See, for some of you, you hear the word shame and you immediately feel its weight. Some of you, you hear the word shame and you hear the thought of your past and you're already kind of sinking back in your seat a little bit because you think about bad decisions and regrets and bad moments and past sin and current sin and past habits and and current habits. You may even think about past relationships that have broken and you feel the weight of shame. Others of you, maybe you don't feel the weight of shame as quickly, but if we're honest with ourselves Even if we have become a little bit numb or learned how to ignore some things in our past, there are things about the decisions that we've made in the past that bring up shame. There's these what if decisions, these what if thoughts that we have in life. We have thoughts like, what if people knew that thing about me? What if people saw me when no one else was watching? Like, what if people really knew what I've done in my past? We all have shame. And I want to kind of caveat something before we go further. Uh, When I say shame for this teaching, I'm specifically referring to decisions that you have made and that I have made. Some of us carry shame that was put on us by circumstances that we couldn't control. Maybe even something about our background, where we're from. Maybe even sins of somebody else around you and shame was kind of put on you. That's not the type of shame I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the shame that we all carry because of the decisions that, that we've made. So that's one caveat. The second is, is this. I want to invite us in to be vulnerable and honest. Um, and the way I'd like to say it is a little turning the word a little bit, but I want there to be no shame if you have shame. There's no shame today. If you have shame, if you're sitting in your seat and you feel shame from your past, I want you to feel the breath of God and the I hope by the end of today, you've realized what to do with that shame. You can be open and vulnerable with God and you can be open and vulnerable with your church because we're going to talk about how to break shame in our lives. So it's going to be real happy. Everybody smile. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Some of you. We're there. So let's, let's talk about shame. I'm going to teach you about shame for a moment. We're going to get to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to learn how to break shame. Shame is the lie that my worst moments are my defining moments. Shame is also typically involving how we think. Remember the battle for our mind, how we think others view us. Because shame is often the byproduct of placing our identity in the hands of someone else. Shame is often the byproduct of placing our identity into the hands of our past, which leads to us feeling left out or excluded or rejected because of things that we have done or even things that we are still currently doing. Shame is tied to this fear that others wouldn't accept you. They'll reject you. you feel like you can't be yourself because if if you really were yourself, your friends, your family, your church, people at work or at school, they would push you away if they really knew what you have in your past. At its heaviness, shame is this feeling of unworthiness or even unclean and unlovable. I think I need to make a distinction between guilt and shame. Because guilt can become shame, but guilt, especially when understood as conviction, is not necessarily a a bad thing. Guilt is almost like this internal alarm clock when you begin to do something wrong, when you step over the line of of a value that you have. So guilt uh, can be used by God to put us kind of back on a path towards him. But when uh, not dealt with, guilt tends to begin to fester and become shame because uh, at its core, what shame wants to do is not just claim your activity. Shame wants to claim your identity. Well, we'll say it like this. Guilt is, I have done something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Shame is always defeating and always destructive. Shame is like a covering. By the way, this is a weighted blanket. And it is literally like 15 pounds. So, but it proves a point. Shame is like a covering that when I have shame in my life, it feels like I'm wrapped up in this blanket. It feels like I'm wrapped in shame. And some of you know this feeling. When you're living in shame, it feels like everyone sees and knows the source of your shame. You feel known by your past. You feel you feel known by your wounds. You feel known by your bad decisions. You feel known by by your regret and your sin and your screw ups, because shame wants to identify you, make you visible based on the very worst moments of your life. And shame has weight. And uh, ladies, I know you know about weighted blankets and men, you act like you don't know about weighted blankets. You think you're too cool for them until your wife buys one and you're the one always stealing it in the living room. Um, I'm sorry, babe. Um, We know know what this weight feels like because what's important to, to recognize is that when you're covered in shame, it actually begins to hurt you. And not only are you covered in shame, it begins to consume your mind. Shame does more than just make you visible by your past decisions. What it does, it begins to consume your mind. It covers your mind, and you begin to see everything through the lens of shame. Shame colors your relationships. It colors how you view God. It colors how you see your circumstances. It colors how you see everyone in your life. And what happens is shame compounds from your thoughts into your actions And you begin to push healthy people. You begin to push healthy things away because of shame. And shame is a preferred weapon of the enemy. He knows that if he can make us associate our past bad decisions with our identity, the enemy knows that if he can make us think that what we have done is who we are, then he can keep us from moving forward. Jesus describes the devil this way. And, and by the way, you read the scripture, Jesus. Well, this is like some holy smack talk here. This is this is watch how Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and about the devil. John chapter eight, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. That's uh, he's talking to the Pharisees. You belong to the devil and you carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning Which means that from the beginning, the the devil, what he's always wanting to do is destroy things. He's always wanting to kill things in us, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies are the devil's primary strategy against us. He's a liar, but he's also a tempter and an accuser. The enemy, what he does is he leverages our weaknesses and he tempts us into sin. Now, now we have a we have a sin nature. We're drawn to sin, but the enemy, Scripture says, is like a lion seeking whom he can devour. So, what the enemy does is he lures you into sin and he finds it att- attached to a weakness and he lures you in by lust and lies and greed and anger and control and selfishness. And watch what he does. It's he's he's really like this slimiest, he's the worst. What he does is he he invites you in and says, hey, it's not a big deal, tempts you. And then the second you step over the line into sin, the enemy is the first one to accuse you because the one who tempts you is also the first one to apply the shame for the sin. And his lies become the voice of shame in our mind. And the voice of shame in our minds tends to sound like this. I'm inherently defective. I'm damaged goods. Something is deeply wrong with me. I'm not valuable. I'm inadequate. God doesn't really love me. I'm not loved by anybody. It's all my fault. People won't like me. If they really knew me, and I'll never be good enough. Those are the lies that are told to us in our minds by the enemy through the lens of shame. And you see that shame really is like a bazooka. If our mind is a battlefield, shame is like a bazooka. It is a powerful weapon in the hands of the enemy. But don't worry. There is really good news for us today. And I don't want to get there, but before I get to the good news of how we can break free from the lie of shame, and we can break free from the lie that my past defines my present and my future, we got to talk about the three different ways that we deal with shame. The first way that many of us deal with shame is that we adopt the shame. And what we do is we begin to just claim the thing that is causing us shame. We begin to to say, well, the blanket is okay. The shame is okay. And we begin to try to just adopt it. We begin to embrace the thing that was once causing us shame. Maybe it's tied to an addiction or moral decisions or sexual sin or or greed at work or, or how we're treating our family. We don't think it's a big deal. We try to minimize it by adopting the shame. We try to cope with the shame by changing our mind on how we think about the thing that causes our shame. We adopt the shame and we call it freedom. By the way, the the, the world would have us believe that freedom is doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Can I tell you that that type of freedom always ends in a disappointing place? The type of freedom that God offers us is the type of freedom that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, which, by the way, I, I use that example of laying your head on the pillow at night because Uh, That's just something about that is is where we're the most honest with ourselves. And it's also where we're the most worried and most concerned and most frustrated with our lives and most all, all that. What God wants to do is give you the type of freedom that when you put your head on the pillow at night, that you feel proud of who you were that day. There's peace in your spirit. What the world doesn't want to tell you is that if you try to adopt the shame, it doesn't remove the weight. It doesn't change the weight. Sin always hurts you, even when we try to call it something else. But if we don't try to adopt the shame, it's like many of us to try to hide the shame. Now, I can't really hide this stuff in my jacket, but what we try to do is we try to hide the shame. And this is what a lot of us professional Christians try to do. That if we have something in our past or. Something in our present that we're not quite ready to bring out into the light. We try to hide it so that others don't see the real us. And we push it away. Or we try to ignore the shame and we try to hide it. And what that does is, uh, it's an important thought, that if something is broken, it will always eventually come back out to the light. I was, uh, I was thinking about that thought And uh, I had, I don't know, sometimes when you're, you're, you're thinking through things, just memories that you had almost forgotten about pop up. And and I had that happen. Uh, I was thinking about a time when I was in the the fifth grade and I was with a a friend of mine at his house and he lived on a farm in South Georgia. And uh, he had a four-wheeler and I loved riding on my buddy's four-wheeler. And we would ride up and down the road to his grandma's house. The only place we could drive the four-wheeler is down the road to his grandma's house. Uh, But when we, but his dad had to be home for us to do that. We were 10, 11 years old, so driving a four-wheeler had some risk. Well, one day his dad decides to leave, and we decide that this was our time to take the four-wheeler out and do what we really wanted to do. And so we get the four-wheeler out, and he was going to let me drive that day. Um, And so I'm on the front. I've got the throttle. He's sitting behind me. You can picture it, a couple of like 10-year-olds out on a a four-wheeler. And we're in the front yard, and right when we're about to, uh, to get to the ditch, for some reason, as we get to the ditch, I, I just lay on the throttle. And what we do is we hit the ditch. We ramp up. The, the rack of the four-wheeler kind of catches itself on the edge of the ditch. And we fly off the back of the ditch. We're laying on our back directly underneath the four-wheeler. And the four-wheeler is uh, like barely hanging on. The, the rack is keeping it from tipping over on us. We roll over. We don't die. I'm here. Praise God. Um, and we get the four-wheeler back and we, 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 we think, okay, we, 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 we were okay. Nothing bad happened. And we go and put the four-wheeler back into the shed. Um, some of you know where this is going. What we didn't realize was that there was a piece of the back of the four-wheeler that had just snapped. The, the wheel well was broken. The rack was broken. The screws were bent and we just put it back in the shed like nothing had happened. We're in the house a few hours later and his dad is a hard man is a tobacco farmer in South Georgia. And he walks in and he goes, Tyler. And we knew he had seen the four-wheeler already. Here's the point. We can try to hide broken things, but it's always going to come out and be visible. You cannot hide shame for long. And, and let me give a, a, one more thought on hiding. If you want to find where shame exists in your life, look for where you're trying to hide. Maybe you've grown a little numb to your shame. Maybe you're unsure of where shame is. But if you want to find where shame is, look for where you're hiding something. It could be your phone, your bank account, your search history, your social media messages, your location. Think about where you're prone to hide things, and you'll find shame close by. So we try to adopt the shame, try to hide the shame. And the only answer for us today is to surrender the shame. Surrender the shame. This is the only way that leads to freedom, peace, and fulfillment. Shame doesn't have to hold you. Your past doesn't have to define you. You can surrender it to God. You can break away from the shame and live free and whole and excited and proud and confident again. So I want to look at the life of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament and how he surrendered his pain or his shame. He doesn't try to adopt it. He doesn't try to hide it, but he surrenders it to God First, a quick overview of, of Paul's life. By the way, his past is worse than yours. I don't know if you need to hear that today, but the guy who wrote half the New Testament, his past is worse than yours. Listen to this. We first hear of Paul in the, the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 7 and 8, when he's still referred to as Saul. And he's literally presiding over the murder of the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen. See how scripture records it. Acts chapter 7, verse 58 says, and when they had driven him, that is Stephen, out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now Saul, the next chapter, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. So his past, literally involved in moving against the Christian church, Stephen, the first Christian martyr for the testimony of Christ, he was put to death, and Saul was involved in even presiding over the death of Stephen. His past is significant, but we see in Acts chapter 9, the next chapter, I wish we could read it, where Saul is radically saved by Jesus. Jesus meets him, he surrenders his life to Jesus, his sin is forgiven, he's transformed, and he gets a new beginning. And now, Paul writes in the New Testament. And what we see is somehow he lives a life not covered up by his shame. He's not covered up by the sins of his past. He's not trapped by the sins of his past. In fact, he becomes the greatest Christian missionary in history. So how does Paul move past his shame into a life of purpose and freedom? He talks about this experience in 1 Timothy. Listen to his words as he talks about breaking free from his shame. First Timothy chapter one, starting in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me into service, even though, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And by the way, I love this multiple times in the New Testament. Paul talks about the goodness and the love and the grace of Jesus. And then he almost burst out in song. And that's what this last verse is. He says, do you see how much mercy I've been shown? Verse 17. Now to the king. Eternal, immortal, invisible. The only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul no longer lives in his shame. And there are two truths from this passage that I want us to be able to focus on that I think if you can begin to think these truths, they would help you overcome any shame in your life. The first is this. There is an even though for anyone. There is an even though for anyone. Some of you today don't think there's enough of an even though for you and your past. You'll realize that the love of God is is there for you. There's an even though type of patience and love for you. Paul says that he's the worst. He says, even though I was a violent aggressor, a blasphemer, even though I, I literally fought against Jesus and his church, he found grace and a new beginning. Even though and the same invitation exists for us today. I love this phrase. He said, I was once a fill in the blank. I was once this, and and you might need to fill in the blank. You think about your life. You may need to think about last night. And the good news of the gospel is even if you are in something right now, you can have a new beginning at the moment that you trust in Jesus. Paul says, I was once this. Maybe you feel like you're a cheater, a liar, you've been greedy, you've been angry, you've been sexually immoral, whatever that fill in the blank is, and in a moment of grace, you can turn a I still am into I was once, and the identity that you feel covered up in in your shame can be moved to the past tense in a moment, and you trust in Jesus. This is the promise. This is the promise of the gospel. That no matter what, God, and please hear me in this. That no matter what your I once was is, you can still have an even though. Because some of you right now, when I talk about shame and my heart was breaking for you as we were writing this sermon, because I knew the word shame and past was going to cripple some of us in this room today. There are things from your past, and there are things that you feel still tied up in today that break your heart and make you, like I said earlier, shrink back. But my hope for you today is that you breathe deeply into the grace of God, and you realize that, as Scripture said, that the love of God is more than abundant for you. That your past and your worst moments are not your final moments. Aren't you thankful for that today, church? That your worst moments are not your final moments. They are not your defining moments. Because... There's an even though for anyone, here's the next point to, the next truth to think about to overcome shame that Jesus has more grace than you have sinned. You have not outsinned the grace of Jesus. If Paul didn't out sin the grace of Jesus, you haven't outsinned the grace of Jesus. And we learn something so important from Paul in that he calls himself the worst here. Maybe you've called yourself the worst. <laughs> but Paul is teaching us something about sin. That's really important. There are three times in the New Testament when Paul refers to himself as a sinner. Don't miss this. Let me teach you something. There's three times in the New Testament when Paul refers to himself as a sinner. Watch this. It's, it's fascinating. The first time is early in his Christian ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 9, Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles. He looks around at guys like Peter, John, Matthew, and says, those guys are here. I'm here. I'm the least of the apostles. I've got this, this sin in my life. I'm the least of these guys. That's where he starts. Fast forward a few years, and, and the apostle Paul's going deeper into his ministry. He's falling more in love with Jesus. He's growing in his faith. He's growing in his leadership of the church. And in Ephesians chapter three, verse eight, he says to me, I'm the very least of all the saints. So now he says, I'm the least of all Christians. Man, I tell you, I'm the least of the apostles. You know, I'm also below all you guys. I know I'm leading, but man, I'm the least of all the Christians. And And then in 1 Timothy, which, by the way, 1 Timothy is one of the last books of the Bible that the apostle Paul wrote before his death. So literally decades into his Christian leadership, decades into his new life in Christ, decades into his relationship with with Jesus and leading in the church, Paul says, as we already read earlier, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Another translation that I read says that Paul called himself the chief of sinners. So there's this progression when he eventually says, I'm the worst out of everyone, What is Paul teaching us about the view of sin? Because here's what's interesting. You read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he calls himself the worst of sinners. It looks as if he's becoming more aware of his sin without applying more shame to himself. Think about you and me. If we become more aware of our sin, wouldn't we apply more shame? Well, I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't know I was sinning there. That's more shame. Uh, C.J. Mahaney author of a book called The Cross-Centered Life. He describes what's happening here uh, so beautifully. Here's what he says. At the point of your conversion, that dot is, by the way, that's your salvation. It's a bigger deal than this, but that's your salvation. At the point of coming to faith in Christ, and that's you, apparently. What happens is you are aware of God and yourself. You're aware that there is a gap between the holiness of God and your sin. At the point of salvation, what you're ultimately saying is, I cannot save me. God is here, and I am here because of my sin, because of my past, because of the things I wrestle with. And when you come to faith in Christ, it is built on the reality that you had to have a rescue, and the cross is your rescue. And early in your salvation, and some of you are either early in your faith or you're going to remember this, When you come to faith in Christ early in your faith, there's usually two or three kind of glaring big sins that God deals with. Like you come to faith, you're at church, and then they talk about something like, okay, I got to stop this, this, and this. And you have a certain awareness of your sin once you come to faith in Christ. But so much of growing in your relationship with God is becoming more aware of this, that God is more holy and more perfect than you ever first believed, and we are more sinful than we ever first realized. That God is, is here, and though at the beginning of our, my relationship with him, he began to deal with some of the glaring kind of quote-unquote big sins In my life, what happens is as I grow in relationship with him, he begins to reveal all the deeper sins and he begins to really start picking on me. He begins to pick on the subtlety of pride and the time I kind of exaggerate that story to make myself look better. And he begins to deal with those little moments of impatience at home. And what's happening is he's he's revealing to us. That. We are more sinful than we first realized, which means his love is greater than we first realized. Go with me here. Paul writes in 1st Timothy chapter 1 with almost a celebratory tone. He's like, guys, look at who I once was. I was a violent man. I was an aggressor. Have you ever met somebody that shares their past so freely? Like they share the darkest moments. Almost you're like, hey, chill out, man. I don't need to know all the details. And they're like, no, well, I got to tell you. You know why they're freed up to tell you their deepest, darkest thing? It's because they've seen how good the light is. Because somehow we're able to, to learn more about our sin. And what that ultimately does is begin to remove shame. Because, and here's the big point shame is not removed by thinking less of your sin, shame is removed by thinking bigger about Jesus. Because what the journey of following Christ really is, is it's not just you becoming more aware of your sin and more holy God. What happens is you begin to see that the cross was bigger than you first realized. You begin to see that though at the beginning of your salvation, you thought the cross was big, but it was it was necessary. But by the time you you get close to death and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, your heart, by the way, that's a really Bad, bubbly cross, but by the time you get to your death, if you've been walking with Christ is the cross is huge in your heart. This is how the awareness of sin doesn't crush you and your past doesn't crush you is because you realize that your shame has not been heaped on you. Your shame has been nailed to the cross. You have to believe this truth in order to begin to experience freedom from shame. And perhaps you have been trying to hide your shame. Perhaps you've tried to adopt your shame. Perhaps you have tried to even outwork your shame by coming to church and with good behavior. But the battle for your life and your mind will never be won by these tactics. You have to surrender your shame and your sin to the work of Jesus. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Here's a practice. We've been giving a practice each week that we believe kind of comes against the lie that we believe. And the practice today is confession. Confession. There's two places I believe confession is needed. Confession to God and asking forgiveness for sin for the point of salvation. If you have not given your life to Christ, in a moment of confession and repentance, you can be made brand new. And it all starts with confessing our sin to God, but then also confessing our sins to one another, which I believe brings healing. And what I need what I mean by confession is simply this confession is honesty with God. Confession is honesty before God and others. In a lot of ways, confession is the first step in aligning your thinking with God's thinking. It's moving from the identity of your worst moments to the identity that you can have in him. So first, we confess to God. Forgiveness comes only from him. First John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, that if you confess to God, the things that you've done that you know are wrong or break his heart, that if you do it, he is faithful. Notice the emphasis is on him and what he can do in forgiving your sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive us, not conditionally. It's not a maybe. It's not like, I don't know, that person did like like five things past the line. I'm not going to forgive them. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is good news. Purify, not only purify, but to cleanse us. It, it, it means that, that you have to actually agree with the thought that you have sinned. It requires your honesty that you have sinned, but not staying under the weight of the shame or your sin, but bringing that weight to Jesus. This is how confession works. If you're covered up in shame, gosh, this blanket's heavy. If you're covered up in shame, shame's heavy. You like that? What I did there? (laughs) Shame is heavy. And when you are covered up in shame, like I said earlier, it covers your mind. And it affects how you think. It affects your, your mind. It affects your life. And when you begin to confess your sin to God, what it does, it's almost like it lifts the shame off of your mind. And what once to be covered, your mind was covered by shame. Now you look up and you allow the light of God, the truth of God to begin to fill your mind. You begin to think differently and see the world differently. You begin to trust not only his forgiveness of your sin, but watch this confession is not just about uh, forgiving your sin, but it's beginning to trust who God says you are. It's beginning to trust that that what other people say about you is not what your identity is found and what you say about you is not where your identity is found, but what God says about you is where your identity is found. And I'm so thankful for this truth. Because our faith is not a shame-based faith. It's a relationship-based faith. Our, our, our faith is not come to God pouting and hiding. And all right, God, I need you to go to heaven. Like, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to go to heaven. But I'm just going to kind of pout. I'm going to hide in my shame, but get enough forgiveness in order to, to go to heaven. Uh, here's how shame looks in faith. Shame says, I've messed up. Don't tell dad. While relationship said, I've messed up. I've got to go tell my dad. You see the difference? The invitation is relationship with your heavenly father to not sit under the shame anymore. Some of you in your faith, you have felt forgiven, but no further. You know what I'm saying? You have felt like I've got enough forgiveness to, to be right with God eterni- eternally, but I don't have any more from God. You may think about, uh, you know, every family, right or wrong, may have their favorite kids. (laughs) Maybe you think I'm a child of God, but I'm not the golden child of God. That person is. You think, man, God loves me, but he's pretty ticked at me. And by the way, uh, don't get me wrong. God does get ticked at you. (laughs) Sin does break his heart. But there have been many times. Where because we have this shame-based thought in our head about our faith, what happens is all we want from God is forgiveness. And we begin to think, all right, if God could just drop the shame, then I would be good, right? If God could just get rid of the shame, I'd be good. But can I tell you, the promise of Christianity, the promise of the gospel is not just that God would remove the bad, it's that he adds the good. It's not just that he removes the shame, it's that he replaces it. And this is not a very pretty robe, but you this doesn't do the robe of of righteousness a good look. But go with me here. Go with me here. It's that he removes the shame and he replaces it. You've wanted God to just forgive you of your sin. But what God wants to give you is a new identity. He wants to tell you that that you don't have to be like the kid in the corner at the house going, hey guys, I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm here. He wants you to come back to the table. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And so he, he, he takes the shame. He doesn't just remove the bad, but he replaces it with the good. And he replaces it with joy and belonging and freedom and redemption and value and love and purpose. And hear me on this. If you've been covered up in shame, he replaces it with a future. First Timothy, Paul says it so well. Watch what he this is so intentional how the scripture is written. Verse 12 again. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy. And appointed me into his service. Again, here's the thought. Some of you have felt forgiven up to a point. And today you get to run in the freedom that God does not just want you to be forgiven. He wants you to be restored. And you have purpose and a future. Paul is letting us know that in Christ, no matter how rough your past may be, he's not done with you yet. He wants to use you. He wants to give you a purpose He wants us to know that if God could forgive him and give him a purpose as the worst of sinners, he can do the same for us. And then second, and we'll be closing is you have to be honest with someone else. It's confession to God, but also confession and honesty with somebody else. There is a certain freedom and healing that only comes when we confess to others, a trusted friend, a spouse, a pastor, a small group leader. Hey, you may need to confess to someone that you have hurt That you've sinned against in order to begin to have the freedom that comes from James chapter 5 verse 16 says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess to one another that you may be healed. That passage is talking a lot about physical healing, but as we've said before, God doesn't want just your, your body or your mind or your soul. He wants all of it. And so as you confess to one another, what I believe is he wants to heal you emotionally and mentally as well, because you will never fully find freedom from shame if you keep it in the dark. Shame or the source of shame, when we keep it inside and we don't tell others and we don't confess to God quickly, it festers. But when you bring the source of your shame out into the light, as painful as it might be for you to bring the source of your shame out into the light, light kills that. The source of your shame cannot thrive in the light. It only thrives in the dark. And so when we confess to others, when we're authentic, when we're vulnerable with others about where we're struggling, that is always a key factor to finding healing from shame. So would you be honest with God? And would you find somebody else that you trust to be honest with as well? If you were covered in shame today, I do believe that your journey starts with confession. That you would begin to agree with God about your sin, but then also agree with God about who he says you are. That your sin can be forgiven and you can be restored and you can be transformed and you can leave your life of sin and you can live a new life of purpose and future. In a moment, the pastors are going to step up across campuses and we're going to have a moment to to worship and to pray. Because I know that for some of us, the the chains of shame are not going to fall until you bring those chains into the presence of prayer. That there are chains around you and around your life that that are not going to go away until the authority of God through prayer kind of comes on them. So we're going to create that space at 12 Stone Home and at our campuses. But before we do... I want to remind you, at 12 Stone, we believe the gospel demands a response. So every week we're going to sing, we're going to bring, and we're going to pray. Right now, the, the worship teams are going to come out, and we're going to sing a little bit. And as we're singing, the ushers are going to come forward, and ushers are going to pass baskets through the room. And what this is an opportunity to do is to give God our first and our best. Because when you realize the size of the cross, when you realize what God has given to you and his rescue of you, you just want to give him your life. And giving is an opportunity to give God your first and your best because he is worthy of that. And while the teams lead us in worship, baskets are going to pass and you'll be able to worship God through your giving. You can text give, by the way, to 37748. If you want to give, but you didn't come ready for it, you can give right there online. If you text give to 37748. And then we're going to pray. We're going to bring the power of God into the places of our lives that have shame. If you're like me, every now and then I need a verse, I need a passage that just I can kind of hold on to, that it can become an anchor for my life. And I want to give you one today that maybe you need to to type out on your phone, read every morning. Maybe you need to put it on your mirror. Maybe you need to uh, put it somewhere where you can see it for the next week. But if you're covered up in shame. I'm going to pray this passage over our church. And I hope that God uses it today to help us move forward. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 starts. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead i press on toward the goal to win the prize for which god has called me to heavenward in christ jesus i pray this over you church in jesus name amen
2: and all grace unending and freedom money, I am your child. For I you, you love as you find, me, and then you live. it here to your table, oh, grace undeserved, and freedom money. Oh, I am your child forever. You, you love as you find me, and then you invite here to your day. But we sing oh grace undeserved and freedom unending. Oh, I am your child forever. You you love as you find me and then you invite me to your table
0: Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 stone church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories and make sure to tag 12 stone church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again. And we'll catch you on the next one.